0: Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss, and I am stoked you are tuning in to our Teaching of the Week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. And um, all right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching.
1: It's good to be with you this morning. If you are uh, new with us, my name is Landon, and I'm grateful to be one of the team members here with Restoration Church. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 1. We'll uh, spend some time there in just a few minutes. Before that, though, uh, three quick announcements, I think. Number one, we have our block party that we've been talking about for a little while coming up this Friday. So it'll be out in the parking lot. We'll roll out turf and cornhole and ping pong. We'll have a food truck or two here with food for purchase, or you can just bring your own dinner and hang out. And we just want to spend time together now that it's actually warm and nice before it's too warm. Uh... Because it's just good to to be together, to get to spend time as a a church family. So this upcoming Friday from 5 to 8 p.m., we'd love for you to join us out there. Next, uh, this upcoming Sunday, so a week from today, we'll have uh, what we call a welcome lunch. So if you're newer to our church and either have specific questions or just want to get to know the the staff and elders a little bit, or you're just figuring out what is your next step uh, to participating with this church family, the Welcome Lunch is a great way to to figure those things out. We'll share some of uh, our vision, kind of the why behind Uh, how we do the things we do, and then you'll have a chance to to ask any questions you might have. So that'll be next Sunday following the second gathering in the studio. No need to RSVP or anything, but if that's kind of somewhere you're at and, and wanting to figure some of those things out, we'd love to have you join us for lunch. Lastly, Four and four, because everything I've talked about so far is meals oriented. One of the things that we do is what we call four and four. It's really simple four meals in four months. Kind of same concept as welcome lunch, but more relational. If you're trying to figure out if we're the people you want to follow Jesus alongside of, or we are, and you're trying to figure out what are the, the next steps. The best way that I think you can do that is by sharing meals with people and some specific meals. The first is a meal with someone else in your same stage of life. We need people that are going through similar things as us. The second meal is someone in a different stage of life. The third is someone on a team from our church that either you've been impacted by or maybe you're interested in serving in. And then lastly, uh, a meal with one of our our staff members or elders, and I'm convinced that by the end of those four meals, you're gonna know not just like the theory of our culture. Churches, organizations, businesses have lists of what they would like to be like, but you're gonna know what we're actually like because you'll have spent time with our people, and I just think that's a better way to go about it. So if you're new, you're trying to figure it out, We'd encourage you to uh, try this four and four thing out. If you're like, hey, I'm new, so that means I don't know anybody, that would make sense. And so Tessa is in the lobby, and she'd love to just connect you with people. If you go, hey, I'm on the second meal, I'd love to have a, a meal, lunch, or dinner, or whatever, with someone in a different stage of life, who would that be? Uh, she has a great grasp when people would love to, to make a connection that would be helpful for you. So you can see Tessa in the lobby for that. All right, John chapter one, in just a minute, we're gonna start a a new series today. I, uh, I had a friend that I witnessed do something and I have to admit, I thought it was sort of brilliant, which is not very good of me because we were standing somewhere and he saw somebody he didn't wanna talk to and I just, he instantly, without missing a beat, he just went, hello, this is Eric. And I was like, what? And he went on this whole conversation. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you need? Okay. I can get that done by Thursday. And he's just pacing around and he keeps repeating the same things. And so he hangs up and I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I do that all the time. It's just pretending to be on a phone call. And then the person walked by, I'm like, wow, that's messed up. (laughs) And I'm probably going to do that from time to time. Have you ever walked into a restaurant or a room or a house or wherever it might be and you open the door and you walk in and you're like, oh, and you just go, "Eh, maybe I'm going to be here a little shorter than I thought I would be. Or you go the other direction or you do the Eric thing and you fake a phone call. Or you could walk into a different room and you open the doors and you see somebody that you just really want to see and you walk up and they're your person and you catch up and it's just good. Or perhaps you just walk in and it's just people and it's neutral. And if you're an introvert, you want to hide. And if you're an extrovert, you're happy. We can have different reactions to different people, probably based on history, based on assumptions we might make about them that could be right or could be wrong, based on a series of factors, how we're feeling that day, what's happened, all all kinds of things. For a moment, imagine those three categories. If you were to walk through those doors and you're going to see someone you just really wanted to, to be with, to have a conversation with, who would that be? Just think about that. Who's that person that's just fun and good to connect with? Who's somebody, on the other hand, that if you walked through those doors, you'd be like, ah, no, thank you. Actually think about it. Okay, now, here's my question. In that scale, if you walk through those doors, and Jesus is sitting right there, Where does he fall into that scale? I think often we assume like, oh yeah, I just love to have a conversation with Jesus. But in our lives, we have that opportunity by the the power of the spirit. And so do we actually love to have conversations with Jesus? What is your kind of emotional, relational reaction to having an opportunity to connect with, to conversate with, to process something with Jesus? One of the the best quotes, I think it was Toja that said it, is the most important thing about you is what you believe to be true about God. And I think that is very accurate. But I would maybe add to that, and we've said this before, one of the most important things about you is what you feel when you think about your relationship with God. Not just facts or information you know to be true about Him. Not just what you know about Him but what is the feeling that, that comes about when you're going to experience or interact with Jesus? Is he someone you want to share your dreams and hopes with? If you have vision for something, there's something you want to build. Is he somebody that you want to process that with, get guidance from? And be honest, like we're in church, you don't have to do the, like, yeah, Jesus, he's great. Is it actually, is, is Jesus who you'd go to to process things? <clears throat> The other night, my my daughter came into the, the bedroom in the middle of the night, which I'm really grateful is happening less and less, but it was the middle of the night. I'm like foggy, she comes in and goes, dad, can I sleep with you? I had a, I had a terrible nightmare about Whitney. <laughs> and I'm like, you had a nightmare about Whitney? So I'm like slowly waking up, I'm like, sure, call the bed. Chelsea's still asleep. My daughter crawls into the middle. And she I'm like, well, well, what happened? And in my my head, I'm like, how do you have a nightmare about Whitney? And if you don't know, Whitney leads our kids. She leads our practices. She basically leads the church. And she's a really close (laughs) family friend. Like, we do a lot together. And so I'm I'm confused. And I go, Leah, what happened? And she goes, a witch ate me. And I'm like, Whitney ate you? And she's like, no, dad, a witch. And I'm like, well, you said you had a bad dream about Miss Whitney. And she's like, no, I just said a witch. I'm like, oh, thank God, because if Whitney ate you in your dream, that's way worse. And so we, we kind of laughed a little bit. She's like, no, dad, Miss Whitney only does good things. I was like, okay. But my daughter in that moment just wanted to be seen and known. And I think there's this, this funny thing that happens as we grow up and we, we learn and we're supposed to become kind of self-sustainable and responsible where we think we no longer want to or we pretend we no longer want to or believe it, but there's not a need to be seen and known. And it's different than an eight-year-old. Most adults I know, not all, but most don't have nightmares frequently. But there's still questions, there's concerns, there's concerns. There's fears. There's also hopes and dreams and possibilities that that are meant to be known and seen. And what I want to process this morning is, is it actually good when you are seen and known by Jesus? Like we're in church, so we'll assume that's a good thing, but is it actually a good thing to be seen and known by by Jesus? We're going to read about that a little bit in the, the gospel of John, beginning in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following, he asked them, what are you looking for? I think is a, an important question to ask ourselves from time to time. What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. Think about how weird that would be for for just a second. You meet somebody for the first time and they go, let me tell you who you are. Great to meet you. Let me tell you some, some things about you. That would be a very unique experience. Jesus did not need to ask Simon questions about who he was. He saw him and he knew him. That's different. Something similar happens next. In verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. So he has his own doubts about whether, about whether or not Jesus is actually this one. Come and see, Philip said. Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. Notice Jesus sees him. He does not need to ask him a whole bunch of questions about his life story. He knows who he is. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. Jesus answered, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So there's some unknown built into this passage. But this doubter, Nathanael, who had questions about whether or not Jesus could actually be this one, immediately after Jesus sees him and declares what he knows to be true about him, he tells him information about himself. He doesn't ask questions like, hey, tell me about yourself. Where do you come from? What do you do? Who are you friends with? Jesus sees and knows him and declares something. And this one who was just questioning him moments before, Nathaniel goes, wow, truly you are the son of God. These men came to see Jesus and to know more about Jesus. But what ended up happening, the the first step in their relationship a more important step, hear that, a more important step And their relationship with Jesus was not first to see him and know him, it was first to be seen and known by Jesus. And I think as we do this Christian thing and this church thing and we so-called follow Jesus, I think we oftentimes skip this step, an essential step of being seen and known by Jesus. And what we do is maybe we experience salvation or we enter a relationship with Jesus and then we just fast forward really quickly to how to serve and give and how to be like Jesus maybe, how to tell his story and his love. But like Nathaniel, I think it's essential that we pause and stop, not just for new believers. You could have been in church for the entirety of your life, but do you ever stop and reflect on what it means to be seen and known by Jesus? Jesus. We're gonna start this new series, I think, unless I change my mind, which is possible. On on what it actually means to be loved by Jesus and then to love like Jesus. I think we assume we know what love means, but what does it actually mean to be loved by somebody? So then what does it actually mean to be loved by Jesus? And then we we, we talk about hey, go Like, what would Jesus do? Go do what Jesus does, love like Jesus. What does it then mean to actually love like Jesus? And I think core to this whole start, as Jesus is calling, calling that's a great word, calling his disciples to follow him, the first step is to recognize and embrace that they've been seen and that they are known by this Jesus. Look again here at at verse 40. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah. So he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. That's present tense. You will be, future tense, called Cephas, which means rock. He's foreshadowing and prophesying about the role that Peter, Simon, would one day play in the church, that he would be the the foundation for the church of Jesus. And in this moment, as Jesus looks at Simon, meets him for the first time, he tells him about his future. And in that moment, when he meets Simon for the first time, and he tells him about his future, a good future, I don't know how Jesus did it exactly. I don't know if he had to like reflect for a second, or he had a vision about everything that was going to happen in Simon's life. But he knew the good and the bad, and part of it I want to read to you. Jesus was aware of what was gonna happen in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Jesus, later, years later, after they've built this relationship and know each other, he says this to Simon. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. The Lord, he told him, confidently, because he thought he knew himself better than Jesus knew him. I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. I can almost just imagine Jesus just taking a deep breath. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. Fast forward to verse 54, they arrest Jesus, they lead him away and bring him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Think about that for a second. He's about to be crucified. He's being questioned. He's on trial. His life is about to end. He's about to literally save the world for like, Us, everybody. The the world is changing in this moment here and now. The world. And he stops and he pauses when he hears the sound of the rooster and he looks over at Peter. And you can only imagine that that look said to Peter, I see you and I know you. And I wonder if in that moment Peter wanted to be seen and known by Jesus. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Back to John 1. When Jesus saw Simon, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. As Jesus declared this truth about Simon, he saw the whole picture. He saw the moments of of failure, of stumbling, of struggling, of question, of, of choosing the absolute wrong thing to do in many different situations. And he saw the triumphs, the faithfulness, the passion with which Peter would follow him and one day indeed be that rock. And he spoke this truth over him because he saw him and he knew him better than Peter knew himself. Look again at the account here with Nathaniel. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, Jesus, the son of Nazareth, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, to which Nathaniel replies, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. He knows his personality. He knows his ways of thinking. He knows his sarcastic nature. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He saw his past. Jesus saw Simon's future, and Jesus saw Nathaniel's past. And in this moment, Nathaniel knows who Jesus is. To be seen and known by Jesus means you have been freed from your past, your present, and your future. From any set of expectations of faithfulness or unfaithfulness, from any set of expectations of good deeds you need to or should do or failures that will happen in your life, Jesus sees and knows you fully for everything you've done and everything you will do. And so no bad in the past or good in the past makes him love you more, makes you more accepted. No good in the future or bad in the future makes Jesus love you any more or less. You've just been chosen as a child of the Father, as a co-heir, as Paul says, for who you are fully. To be seen and known by Jesus means you have been freed to let Jesus down. Have you ever thought about that? The reality of the work on the cross that Jesus did and then his rising days later frees us to actually let Jesus down. And not to worry about it. That doesn't mean not to care. But we have nothing to worry about in those moments because he won't be shocked. He will pick you up and say, I believe in you and I'm here with you. To be seen and known by Jesus means you have been freed to doubt, question, stumble, and struggle. With your faith, with your relationship with him. And again, he won't be shocked by that because every single follower of Jesus for all of time has doubted, questioned, stumbled, and struggled. And so Jesus welcomes us into that and he'll carry us through just like he did Peter. To be seen and known by Jesus means you have been freed from a need to prove anything or to do any pretending. So many people in this world are constantly trying to prove something or pretending they're someone they're not, someone they wish they'd be, or someone someone else wishes they might be. One of my, my favorite movies growing up was the movie A Knight's Tale. And I, I remember in the middle of that movie this quote, as the, the two main characters are opposing each other and enemies, and one says to the other, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. And it's a, it's a powerful scene. And I wonder how many people in life today, let alone in this room, lived their life running from that quote. Not in the movie, but in life. Maybe it's more in the voice of your father, or a coach, or teacher, or boss, or friend, or somebody in your life that maybe was an authority. You have been weighed, you have been measured, you have been found wanting. Wanting or maybe it's in the voice of of somebody that was just always in your corner your greatest cheerleader confidant guide someone that just saw potential in you and talked about it and gave to you maybe financially maybe hours of guidance friendship they were always there and they had a vision for you and so you process that will i live up to those set of expectations will i be enough To be seen and known by Jesus again means you don't have anything to prove because he knows it all. You don't have to pretend anything again because he knows it all, good or bad. Maybe you fall into the category where you dwell more on the, the struggles you've had. Maybe you fall into the category where you're quite confident and you dwell more in the triumphs you've had. Again, either way, that doesn't impact how Jesus views us, how the Father views us. Listen to to Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. What if, what if we replaced Lord there with somebody else's name? That would be really creepy. You have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. Like, that's horrifying. It's kind of like Siri, I think, a little bit. You think something, and next thing you know, you've got advertisements for it. We don't like that. But do we assume that being seen and known by Jesus is good? Do you actually think that's good? If Jesus is waiting for you at home at the dining table with a meal, do you want to have that conversation? How do you think it will go? What is the feeling? What is the reaction? Or would you walk through the door? And now that Eric taught me a trick that I taught you, you'll just be like, hey, this is Eric. I'll be, uh, I'll be back in a few minutes and not want to have that conversation with Jesus. Maybe another strategy we use if you don't want to talk to people, maybe you do it in a group. Oh, Bible studies are great. Then it's not just me and Jesus. That's when I spend time. It's kind of like everybody together. We come to him when we're comfortable or confident Or maybe it's only when we're in need, but what is your reaction to being with Jesus? I actually think this is really good though. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Meaning whatever's going on, whether you're in a season where good things seem like they're about to happen or it's a whole lot of questions and you feel alone. Maybe you're a parent that's just exhausted and depleted or you're just trying to make the, the be able to pay the bills at the end of the week. Maybe you're at the top of your industry or the org chart, or you've achieved the things you've wanted to achieve and you're just finding out how lonely it is at the top. Maybe you're always the life of the party, yet, as the saying goes, you're surrounded by people but feel alone. What are the, the circumstances? I think it's actually deeply comforting that we can trust it is good to be seen and known by Jesus in all those moments. Whatever the fears that are there, that you maybe push away, the hopes and the aspirations, maybe you're afraid to share with someone else, maybe the things God wants you to go pursue, whatever the circumstances are, you are seen and known by Jesus, and he loves and accepts us. I think the opposite of being seen and known is to hide or to disguise yourself. The opposite of being seen and known is to hide and to disguise yourself. I'm guessing, probably a good chance I didn't surprise any of you this morning with this idea that you are seen and known by Jesus. What's intriguing though is that it's a common theme in the scriptures, but the reaction to it is telling. The, the very first time that sin enters the world in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are used to this really beautiful relationship with God and then after they reject him, rebel, whatever you want to call it, sin enters the picture. They hear his footsteps and do you know what they do? They go and they hide. They do not want to be seen and known by Jesus in that moment. If you're honest with yourself, how often in your life Do you not want to be seen and known by Jesus? Is that the feeling? Because it's common. Not only that, after they hide they, in essence, because of shame, sort of try to disguise themselves. I remember hearing a sermon about this when Adam and Eve find out that they're naked. They feel shame, right? We feel shame for different things. And so what they try to do is deal with it. And the way they deal with it is by taking these fig leaves, which I remember this guy saying would have been really itchy. So in essence, what happened is they made like really itchy underwear to cover themselves. That was the best thing they thought to do in that moment. When we take matters into our own hands, we often do really stupid stuff. That's just our tendency. We try to replace God with our own set of control, ideas, passions. In the moment when we need to be seen and known by him, we hide and we disguise. How often is that you? That's the exact approach Satan wants us to take. To think about being with Jesus to go, ooh, now might not be the time. I don't know that I want to be seen right now. I don't know that I want to be known right now. Hebrews 4 presents a different alternative option of how we can approach this Jesus. Verses 14 through 16 say this: Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. My encouragement to you this week, and instead of, or for the first time, coming to to Jesus to just know more about him. He asked the question, what do you want to know? This week, just spend time being known, being seen and known and see how that changes things because it will. That's unique. That's not something I often do. What does it look like to take a deep breath and reflect? Go, oh, wow. Jesus fully knows what I'm feeling. Jesus fully knows what I'm thinking. Jesus fully knows my apprehensions and my questions and my fears and my failures about this thing or that. Jesus knows the, the skill sets he's made me with. And in that psalm it says, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. You've been brilliantly created by the almighty and powerful God of the universe. Like he made you well, he didn't mess up. And he knows what you should go do and what you're good at, he knows that. This week, can we just reflect on the fact that you are seen and known Meaning in essence, you've been weighed and measured and not found wanting because Jesus says so. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for the truth you declare about us so we don't have to rely on anything anyone else says because no one else is God. May you allow us to experience and know your goodness overwhelm us with your love and a knowledge that we've been seen and known by you and that that is a deeply good
0: thing pray it in jesus name amen thanks again for joining us we hope this teaching was both encouraging and also challenging um, helping us to just continue to grow in both our trust for jesus and learning what it means to practice his way If you'd like to partner with us, the first is prayer. I mean, we deeply value the people of God joining us in prayer as we seek his kingdom and hunger for wisdom on how to best lead in the context that Jesus has called us. Um, So if you could be praying for us, that would be massive. The second is serving. If you are looking for a church family um, to plug into, we would love to connect with you. And the third uh, is through giving. Jesus has been so generous in providing a wonderful space in downtown Prescott, Arizona um, to really be a light for this city and to love its people well. And if you call Restoration Church home again or um, just would like to partner with us financially, you can do that by going to restorationaz.org and click the giving tab in the menu options there. So thanks again. And in closing, I just want to remind us Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.